His name is Dick Lawyer. Friday, September 8th, 2017, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Molly Quell, contributing editor at Dutch News and ice cream monogrammer, and with me today are my fellow contributing editor at Dutch News, Gordon Derrick, who is the country's expert on Bullich's lawsuits, and Paul Pater's master student and professional cake maker. So how is everybody this week? I'm kind of slowly disintegrating, I think. Yeah, you're, you got, you were very wet when you I arrived really this morning. I got really wet cycling in the rain this morning. Yeah, yeah it was just tipping it down. And, and my shoes are now in a pair of miniature swamps out in your hallway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm currently barefoot. People should be aware of this while they're listening. Luckily, no smells are recorded now. So. Yeah, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, Paul, thankfully. you're hungover, right? Yeah, I am a bit. Yeah. yeah. You mm-hmm. too, right? Yeah, but... So don't expect too much of this week's podcast. Right, but <laughs> we do have a visiting guest. I, yeah. As I am dog-sitting this weekend, so Charlie the Puppers is laying on the bed. He's really cute. Yeah, he's very cute. So far he's behaved impeccably as well. Yeah, he's yeah. impeccably yeah. behaved, especially mm. for an illegal immigrant from yes. uh, Macedonia. Yeah. And uh, Paul, you had a, a an exciting and then disappointing week this week, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, indeed. Um, well, I'm a Game of Thrones fan, and I got really excited this week when I saw a uh, teaser of what appeared to be a sequel of uh, Game of Thrones on the internet. The series called Westeros supposedly takes place in the future or near future and has characters and places with familiar names such as Lannister and uh, Targaryen Square and as many people um, around the world I was fooled however when it was revealed later this week that the teaser was actually a promo for the new season of satirical news show Zondag met Lubach. You might know them from their viral video uh, I think it was in January or something Mm. the Netherlands second video Mm. where the Netherlands was introducing themselves to the new president of the United States Yeah, it's kind of confusing because I watched it and it doesn't look like satire or comedy at all it's an absolutely no. straight trailer and very well produced as well so you can see why a lot of people were taken in yeah they just glued together some footage they found on the internet so it was actually really amateuristically made but it looked really professional yeah, yeah. it looked really good yeah and they added a few bits of footage as well didn't they because apparently the woman with the dog you just see a pair of high heels getting out of a car with the dog following that was supposed to be Lubak's editor and that was supposed to be a giveaway oh okay yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Wait, the dog or the woman is supposed to be the editor? <laughs> I don't know. I have to get back to that. We, Having dogs as editors, I think, is a, is a way forward. It's a yeah. solid plan. I yeah, mean, yeah, our production editor new, today yeah, is Charlie, we, we and he's, keep, editor, he's keeping he's, us on track. He's done a great job so far. Yes. This week, we have a lot to cover with Hurricane Irma, updates on politics, a big pollution court case, and a cat who just can't stop stealing stuff. Our top story this week is the devastation on the island of St. Martin caused by Hurricane Irma. The strongest hurricane ever recorded went straight over the island, which is part of the Kingdom of the Netherlands, and left a trail of destruction on Wednesday. According to eyewitnesses, the infrastructure is completely destroyed. Cars, trucks and trees were blown over, and 70% of uh, the rooftops were blown away. There is no running water and no electricity, and communications with St. Martin is extremely difficult. The Dutch Navy sends ships and marines to the island immediately after the storm to provide emergency aid and make a damage assessment. Their priority was to clear the island's airports to allow airplanes to land with more emergency aid. A first test plane landed successfully at the airport, but it remains risky to fully open the airport because the control 
control tower is no longer operational. A video made by the Dutch Navy shows the devastation and damage, which was described by Prime Minister Mark Rutte to be of epic proportions. One death has been reported, but the death toll is expected to rise. There are also reports of plundering and widespread looting in Philipsburg, the island's capital. 100 soldiers have arrived on Curaçao, the base of the Dutch military in the Caribbean Sea, on Friday morning. They will be sent to St. Martin as soon as possible. It was feared St. Martin would be hit by another hurricane in the coming days, but Jose, which is a Category 3 hurricane, is projected to deviate to the north of the island. Two Dutch military transport planes are also being loaded with food and water to take to St. Martin, plus Saba and St. Eustatius, which are also Dutch dependencies. These islands were also hit, but not as severely affected by the hurricane, according to the Defence Ministry website. The Red Cross has opened an appeal for donations. You can send your donations to uh, Giro5125. Really devastating. The video yeah. is really... It's it just is. amazing how, how bad the devastation is. Yeah, just here you see all the rooftops ripped off, and uh, now you hear the report of uh, looting and violence in the streets. It's very sad, so our best to the yeah. residents of the island. The biggest political news story this week actually broke last week, just after we recorded the podcast. The Tuatakamer will not be holding the Algemeene Politica Beskowinga, or APB. This is when the second chamber meets to discuss the budget for the following year. One of the most important parliamentary events of the year, it takes place on Wednesday and Thursday after the announcement of the budget on Princhestock, or, as podcast listeners know it, Budget Day. This year, however, the new budget will be announced by the outgoing caretaker government, and the lower house did not see a value in debating a budget that will likely be overruled by the new government. Speaking of the new government, news of it has been less leaky than in previous weeks, but we've still heard some rumors about new developments. A report in The Telegraph revealed that 90% of the agenda items have been agreed upon, though there is still a number of issues related to refugees that have not been decided. This is after an earlier report by RTL, which said that the new cabinet will look into simplifying the tax code. The other bits of news reported this week is that the new cabinet is likely to have 16 total seats, up from the current 13. Meanwhile, the outgoing government has prolonged the Dutch involvement in five military conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, Mali, Lithuania, and the Horn of Africa. Didn't uh, the leader of the Christian Democrats, Hibon Buma, make some comments that made the news this week as well? Yeah, he gave a speech at the annual H.J. Soho lecture organized by current affairs magazine Elsevier, in which he discussed so-called angry citizens. He described them as normal Dutch people who came up up against a wall, offering a justification for support of far-right leader Hurt Builders or Brexit. You know, the comments caused a bit of an opef. Indeed, yeah. No. He didn't make any uh, mention of the national anthem. Well, did he sing the national anthem? Did he sing it? I have no idea. Maybe hmm. he should have to sing it, though, before he can make allegations yeah. like yeah. this. According to his own political beliefs. He right. Yeah. And one of the new ministries is going to be for immigration and integration, right? yeah. as well as ministries for the environment, which we'll talk about later on, and uh, agriculture. So you would think that the CDR are going to get one of the ministerial posts. Probably the agricultural you? ministry post, uh, yeah. I think, because their base is rural people. So Yeah, and according to the neat reports, the Fefe Day will get six ministers, the Deces and Sestok and the Christian Democrats will get four, and the Christian Union will get two. Yeah. Do we think Christian Union will get health? It might be, yeah. In the past, when the Christian Union was part of the government, they uh, got a new ministerial post created, especially for them, the Ministry of Youth and Family. Mm. But I don't think they will um, do that again. No, because it wasn't very successful, was it? It's, uh, no, it wasn't yeah. very successful. Yeah. The other interesting thing is whether the Fefe Day will hold on to both ministerial positions in the Justice Department, even though they've had all these problems with the Justice Department and the ministers keep resigning over Bonish's affairs. So perhaps that's not going to happen in the new cabinet. Uh, I, I'm, I just hope the Bonish's <laughs> affair will continue with this. <laughs> is there 
there is there any similarities between the Bonnich's affair and the Bolich's affair? <laughs> <laughs> um, is there? No, I don't think so. No, I don't think no. so. And no, uh, uh, no fifth day politicians had to resign because of the Bolich's affair. That's too bad. That would yeah. have been a better affair to have to resign over. A group that campaigns for people's right to take their own lives has seen its membership double after it announced that it had discovered a legally available suicide drug. The Cooperatie Latsteville, or Last Will Cooperative, did not disclose what the substance was, but said it was sold online in powder form. Within 48 hours, the number of members had risen from 3,300 to 6,800. Membership costs €7.50 a year, but new members will have to wait six months to learn where they can buy the powder. Chairman Josem Weik said the substance had been identified by consulting members who work in the chemical and pharmaceutical industries, and it ensures a painless death within 20 minutes. So they're not telling what they are selling, only that it kills you. Yes, basically. They're not selling it, but they say it is available through legal channels, not in shops, but online, and they know how to get it. And if you uh, if you take out a membership and you wait six months, then they'll tell you. Can just anyone join this organization? But they say that the only restriction is, is the age limit. You've got to be an adult. It, it has been accused of breaking the law that prohibits people um, helping others in their lives. And unless you're a doctor that follows the euthanasia guidelines, that's the one exception. So, but effectively, yes, anyone can join, and that's raised concerns that maybe, you know, you've Vulnerable young people with psychiatric problems will um, will sign up, um, and when actually they need uh, help rather than suicide pills. In a personal nightmare come true, the Volkskrant reported this week that some immigrants who have already passed the Staatsexamen to qualify for permanent residency have received letters from IND informing them that they are also required to pass the Embarchering and Employment exams as well. It was previously understood that if you pass the higher level of Dutch required by the Staatsexamen, you wouldn't be required to pass the other exams. Duo, the government education organization, told David Azizi, an Iranian immigrant, that he didn't need the other exams, but Ian Day disagreed. A spokesperson for the immigration ministry told the paper, People who wish to settle permanently in the Netherlands have to show that they are really committed to being here and that the two other exams were compulsory. So Molly, does this mean you'll have to take more exams? Don't get too excited there, Paul. I actually took the Embarchering exam when I did all of my exams. I opted for the lower level of Dutch just from the outset, for obvious reasons. <laughs> the second exam, the employment portion, was only required for those who arrived after 2015, and okay. I've been lo- living here longer. Okay, but as I understand it, they told these uh, immigrants that they had to do uh, a set of tests, and then after they completed it... They were told they that they were needed to do more tests. Mm-hmm. Why didn't they tell them in the first place that they had to do these tests? I, I, I'm not 100% sure. It seems to be that there's a bit of a disagreement between Duo, who's the agency that actually does the testing, and Immigration, who's the agency that approves the immigration paperwork oh. about what the requirements actually are. Um, I would guess that it has to come, it comes from some sort of unclearness in the law about what exactly that it is that you need to do and so people are not totally aware in my experience when i was doing this series of exams the information that is available is completely unclear much of it is contradictory like you can see in some parts on the website where it says one thing and then in some parts will totally contradict itself and somewhere else so it, it just seems to me that this is not a very organized process so these immigrants are the victim of a disagreement between these two agencies yeah our bureaucratic nightmare yeah. basically yeah. Is it not kind of a general trend that every government that comes in uh, you know, adds more tests and more conditions and more requirements that immigrants have to 
do to, to, to be in the country. Yeah, they tacked on this employment section two years ago or whatever it was, which is basically sort of like, do you know how to apply for unemployment benefits and can you fill out a job application at HEMA kind of thing? I mean, can you write like a, a motivation letter? That's that sort of stuff, which I mean, it just seems to me is totally absurd. I can say, yeah, at the risk of rerunning a discussion that we've already had on the podcast, I mean, how much did all these tests actually help people practically uh, become better integrated into Dutch society, or is it just a kind of box-ticking exercise and politicians showing it sort of doing something on the immigration issue? Yeah, I completely and one hundred percent believe that it is a box-ticking exercise. I learned nothing from these exams that have actually helped me, like sort of exist in in Dutch life in any sort of meaningful sense. Um, the only sort of upside to them was, as Paul was helping me study, I got to spend like six months just annoying him <laughs> with practice exams. So that that was nice. Yeah. Thanks, government. <laughs> Soft drinks will no longer be available in schools starting at the end of next year. Soft drink manufacturers have agreed to stop selling high-calorie and sugary drinks at schools. The decision is part of a European Union-wide agreement, as well as efforts by the Dutch government to have healthier food in school canteens. Light drinks, however, will still be available. What is the justification for selling diet soda but not regular soda? Um, well, Raymond Gianotte, the director of Soft and Fruit Drinks Association, told RTL News that um, they want to encourage youngsters to make a healthy choice. Light soft drinks has at least 30% less sugar than the standard product, but often no calories and no sugars at all, and according to him, there is nothing wrong with light soft drinks. So it's kind of a compromise, really. Yeah, so, so the, I guess. The, the, uh, the big soft drink manufacturers aren't completely banned from... They can still sell stuff to kids, but just different yeah. drinks. Yeah, indeed. Which they were kind of uh, moving towards anyway, weren't they, with Coke, uh, shifting towards Coke Zero, so it doesn't really Yeah, and 7-Up not, yeah. not, not producing any sugar, yeah. uh, sugary drinks at all. And what's the city of Amsterdam been doing? Because they've uh, had an in- initiative as well. Yeah, uh, the city council of Amsterdam has decided to ban advertisements uh, for unhealthy foods and drinks uh, in the city's metro system. This is the result of the city council's alliance with the Stop Kinder Marketing Organization that aims to ban commercials for uh, unhealthy food directed at children. According to research, uh, one in five Amsterdam children are overweight. How do they defining unhealthy foods? I don't know. That's that's a tricky tricky thing with this. When is something unhealthy? Mm. Everything is unhealthy if you eat uh, right. too much of it, right? Or drink too much of it. So that's why uh, no laws can pass for banning uh, unhealthy drinks in, in schools because, you know, there is no solid definition. Yeah, objective of definition mm. of what is unhealthy. Yeah. yeah. In sports news, the Dutch national team's hopes of qualifying for next year's World Cup are hanging by a thread, despite their 3-1 win at the weekend over Bulgaria. Orania are up to third place in Group A behind France, with Sweden three points ahead in second. But Sweden's 4-0 win in Belarus on the same night puts them well ahead on goal difference, and that gap could be increased in the next round of matches when Sweden are at home to Luxembourg. Sweden then travel to Amsterdam on October the 10th. The team that finishes second in the group will have to play off against another of the second-place teams, so the odds are still stacked against Dick Advocat's Uh, What chance uh, do Luxembourg have of doing the Dutch a favour? On the face of it, not much, but uh, they did hold France to a 0-0 draw in Toulouse on Sunday, which is pretty good, given that France are probably uh, one of the best two or three teams in the world at the moment. Was the team on strike? Uh, They could well have been, yes. Well, they were just being (laughs) underproductive that day. Hmm. Hmm. And, uh, Gordon, there was some some op-hef this week. 
Yes, uh, surrounding uh, assistant coach Ruud Gullit. He posted a film from the dressing room on his Instagram account and so panned around the dressing room and then came back to himself and uh, said what a, and said that it had been a fantastic game. But the problem is that most fans didn't think it had been a fantastic game and uh, the result wasn't that fantastic either because uh, they're still very unlikely to qualify. So commentator said he should resign, he'd breached dressing room etiquette. And, and even manager Dick Advocat, uh, when he was interviewed uh, on TV, said he thought it was very strange that the film had been um, distributed and... And, um, and promised to have a very firm word with Gullit, which doesn't exactly sound like a vote of confidence. Yeah, Ruud Gullit posted this video on Instagram and uh, as uh, Dick Advocaat was being interviewed on television. So mm. they showed Dick Advocaat the video and <laughs> the manager said he couldn't believe this was posted by uh, Ruud Gullit. So uh, he couldn't believe it. He, he, he thought it was a fake video. Yeah, you can see the kind of anger bubbling, simmering up in yeah. his face. Yeah, he, he's a fairly angry looking man all the time, Dick Advocaat, but he looked even angrier at the, uh, when that was shown to him. Um, so in the face of calls to his resignation, Khalid had to eat humble pie and issue a public apology to his manager. He said he'd been over-enthusiastic. In business news, Schiphol is having quite a week. Last week it was reported in the Volkskrant that KLM President Peter Elbers wants low-cost airlines to give back some of their slots at Schiphol in exchange for slots at the new Lelystad Airport, set to open in two years' time. Elbers argues that the airport should make room for intercontinental connections, which are more lucrative. But budget airlines like Schiphol for the same reason Elbers does. It's more conveniently located than the new Lelystad Airport. And they should settle some of these issues soon, as the National Statistics Office, CBS, reported this week that passenger numbers are up again. 20.4 million passengers used Schiphol last quarter, a 10.5% increase over the 2016 numbers. But those passengers don't seem to be buying much. According to the FDA, revenue at duty-free shops has been falling continuously since 2012. This is bad news for the airport since a big amount of its income comes from the rents from those retail establishments. So does this mean that people are just buying fewer sandwiches when they go to the airport? No, it's actually mostly retail that's problematic, which is a sector that is down outside the airport as well. Mm. And uh, didn't Schiphol reopen its shopping corridor this week as well? It did, in fact. The so-called Holland Boulevard reopened last week after renovation work, which includes a library, museum shops, and other retail establishments. The airport is hoping that this will increase sales. We hope that too. Because it would be terrible to have to fly from Lelystad. A heartwarming story now as a bundle of wartime letters that were found abandoned on a railway station platform have been reunited with their owner. The package contained around 150 letters written in 1943 and 1944 by a couple who lived either side of the German border by Limburg. After a Facebook post was shared more than 28,000 times, the owner of the letters was traced and he turned out to be the couple's son. He'd lost the letters when he sat down on the bench to have a cup of coffee and then left them behind as he dashed to get his train. Well, in his defence, very often state secrets are also forgotten on the train, so... This could happen to anyone. That's true. Yeah. So do we know anything more about the uh, the letter writers? The man who lost the letters, Ad Müller, said that his father had gone to fight in Russia for the German army and uh, never returned. Uh, he never actually knew his father because he was born in 1945 um, and his mother stayed in the Netherlands the whole time. And he'd been given the letters by his sister. So he'd been to visit his sister, who lives in Bilthoven, uh, picked up the letters, and then he was on his way back home when he left them on the bench. So I imagine there were some fairly sharp words for, between the siblings uh, about about that. It was like Dick Advocaat and Ruud Gullet all over. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And yeah. uh, do we know what was in the letters? Not too much. When, when they were uh, trying to trace the owner of the letters, the contents of one letter were disclosed in the media, and they, it was about sort of day-to-day life, what they've been having for dinner, the security situation during the war, um, and the letter uh, began when liefstesgat and ended je uh, liefhebbende man. So very sweet. <laughs> yeah. Such a beautiful language. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> 
Sebastian Cat from the Lombok neighborhood in Utrecht has a serious problem. He can't stop stealing, the Telegraaf newspaper reported on Wednesday. Sebastian walks into his neighbor's gardens and homes and takes anything he can carry. According to his owner, Sebastian has brought home hundreds of items, including stuffed animals, dolls and cleaning rags. Recently, Sebastian has developed an interest in socks and underwear, especially men's underwear. He also seems to have a preference for the colors yellow and pink. Does he find a lot of men's underwear in yellow and pink? That was my question as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently, yeah, I'm not entirely sure. So, are the, are the neighbors annoyed that this uh, cat burglar is uh, pilfering their items? Yeah, you would imagine they are, but apparently not. Sebastian's owner claims the neighbors think it's quite funny, uh, especially when they see him walking around the streets with uh, yet another sock in his mouth. It also helps that Sebastian is quite a cute cat with a uh, set of strikingly blue eyes. The neighbors have a group chat on WhatsApp, so whenever Sebastian brings home an item, his owner sends a photo to the neighborhood's uh, group chat, mm. um, so everyone can uh, come and collect their belongings. So everybody in that neighborhood now knows what uh, each other's underwear looks like. Yeah, yeah. I think so, yeah. yeah. That's, <laughs> that's a very intimate photos of, of their underwear, yeah. <laughs> but the, how does the cat get in through the window? The windows have to be open. Well, it was summer, so it's nice weather, so yeah, people open the, the windows, doors. open the doors. Yeah. Um, the yeah. cat sneaks in. Yeah. 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 And if you hang your laundry outside, then yeah. it just steals it from the laundry uh, line. Yeah. And has anyone come up with any theories as to why this cat just goes around nicking stuff? Yes, indeed, there is. Uh, according to uh, Maggie Ruitenberg from the Kattengedrag Advies en Therapie, or CAT organization. Outstanding. Outstanding, there is. Um, the cat's instinct is that it needs to catch something every few hours in order to feed itself. Normally, however, cats are hunting for small animals, such as mice and birds, but apparently Sebas prefers his prey that is not alive. It's easier to catch certainly yeah. a pair of pants than um, a small bird. Yeah. We'll be discussing a court ruling this week about air pollution after this word from our sponsors. Do you drive or ride a bike? Are you in the train or on the train? If you're producing text in English but aren't sure of just the right wording, M Squared can help you. M Squared is a digital publications company that can help you with all of your writing, editing and translation needs. They have a combined 20 years experience crafting the perfect document from editing books to writing website copy. If you need help with your website text, brochure, thesis, press release and more, contact them at info at msqrd.com. If you are interested in reaching an international audience with your product or service, you can email to podcast at dutchnews.nl for our competitive advertising rates. A court has ordered the Dutch government to step up its efforts to reduce air pollution. In a case brought by the environmental campaign group Milieudefensie, judges in The Hague agreed that the government was on course to miss European targets on emissions of particulate matter and nitrogen dioxide and would have to come up with new measures immediately. It's the latest victory in court for environmental campaigners on the pollution issue. Two years ago, an organisation called Urgenda won a ruling that ordered the government to cut greenhouse gas emissions to 75% of their 1990 levels by 2020. So, Gordon, what is the court's, yeah, sort of of position in all of this. Yeah, so the court has basically looked at the case and Milio Defensi argued quite simply that uh, the court should be upholding the law here because the Dutch government has committed to legally binding um, international agreements to get pollution down to a certain level and they brought evidence showing that it hadn't done that and so it said to the court you've got to enforce the law and you've got to uh, tell the government now to go back and make a new plan so that was and, and, and the, the court agreed and they upheld that uh, objection uh, so in uh, and this is an injunction hearing so it's only the start of a process there's going to be a full actual court case uh, later in the year 
court's position is that uh, the government needs to come up with new plans. It also said that uh, the government couldn't bring in any measures that uh, could be shown to increase air pollution, so that's going to have an impact as well. And uh, have there been similar cases in uh, other countries as well? Yes, there's been. Um, this is one of several cases around Europe where there's been a pattern of environmental organisations taking governments to court. So in the UK, a group called Client Earth has um, won cases on uh, deforestation and sea pollution and air pollution. And in Stuttgart in Germany, a court ordered the city's government to rewrite its air quality plan last year and bring forward a ban on diesel cars. So m- the biggest thing that, I, that I've that i seen, the headlines kind of from this, is, is that the court has only given the government two weeks to come up with a mm-hmm. plan, which yeah. seems insane considering the government is not super functional at the yeah, moment. And we don't really have a government right. at the moment. We have an outgoing government. So again, yeah, this is another issue where the, the, the government that's uh, departing has got to kind of come up with a plan um, uh, and which will then have to be implemented by the new coalition governments. So uh, and, and did the court define certain goals they, the, the government has to uh, accomplish or is it basically what they, they said you have to do something at air pollution? Well, no, the government's already got these targets that it's got to meet. So And the um, court uh, said got to make sure that the new plan is adequate to, to achieve these levels because they'd already had an extension from Europe. Uh, originally it had to, they were supposed to uh, reach these emissions levels by 2010, which they couldn't do, so they then came up with a new plan to do it by 2015, and Europe said okay, but now they still haven't done it. What they have said is that uh, the current government's got two weeks in which they, the first step they have to take is they have to identify to what extent the limits are being exceeded in um, certain sort of broad areas, One things like cattle farming, uh, pollution in the inner cities, and on busy motorways. So it covers a lot of ground, and they only have two weeks to... Only two weeks. Come up with a kind of, I suppose, a sketch, really, of, of, of the extent of the problem. The next stage will obviously be to come up with new plans and new ideas, cutting air pollution, which might be things like introducing uh, more environmental protection zones in cities, like uh, we have in places like Utrecht. And yeah, and Rotterdam as well. Rotterdam, The Hague yeah. as well. And there, there, there was a new story coming out this morning that because of these, you know, uh, diesels are banned from city centres, it is feared that all these old diesel cars uh, being sent to Eastern European countries and are going to pollute the environment there. So it's basically a problem. The problem has shifted from the Netherlands to other countries. Yeah, that might very well happen because these cars got to go somewhere, but obviously the court has jurisdiction in the Netherlands, so it's purely concerned with whether the yeah. uh, the pollution levels are being exceeded uh, in this country. How bad is air pollution in the Netherlands? Well, it's in the main cities on the, on the uh, uh, along the coast, so Rotterdam and Amsterdam and The Hague, um, it said it's uh, most severe, especially in, in Rotterdam, and uh, Milieu Defensive claimed that air quality in, the, in all three cities deteriorated further last year, and that thousands of people die prematurely as a result. I think in the European context it's not the worst, but it is... You know, in the most densely populated areas uh, it does exceed the uh, European target levels and the levels actually that are declared safe by the World Health Organization so and uh, if you think that uh, Amsterdam Rotterdam the Hague when you take them together is one of the most densely populated areas anywhere in Europe it's perhaps no surprise that it's actually also got high levels of air pollution yeah I guess it's just as someone who's you know I was just in in, in Turkey and and a, a few months ago I was in Cairo and these places like it's just amazing to me that people consider this to be bad qu- air air quality um, but I guess compared to some other places and and what the targets are that yeah I guess it's not uh, not great it does you know it does seem to me like you know there's there's a lot of dense traffic which I think uh, contributes to these these sorts of problems so what was the government's defense here I mean what did they argue in court yeah so the government's defense was that they had made uh, a fair bit of headway on uh, meeting the targets and um, they, they were only really held up on a couple of sticking points um, but the court said that that wasn't adequate the targets are the targets and they've been agreed by the countries of Europe so they're defined in law 
involved. So it wasn't enough just to say, you know, we're, we're doing our best or we're nearly there. They had to reach the agreed level. And so what happens if they don't come up with a plan in two weeks or if their <laughs> plan is not sufficient enough to make the... To well, determines the if it's sufficient. Well, I suppose the court will um, ultimately uh, judge as a full court uh, hearing going ahead, uh, which starts uh, in November, I think. Uh, so uh, ultimately, of course, you have Milio Defensi is suing the Dutch government for not meeting these targets. So if, if they don't come up with a plan, then that's not going to play well when it comes to the full court case. And, and the government, I suppose, will be looking to reduce its liability because ultimately this is a question, you know, as in all court civil court cases, it's a question of whether the government is liable and what kind of compensation or fines it has to pay. So, yeah, the motivation for them to come up with a plan, I suppose, is to is to show to the court going uh, as it goes through the, the full hearing that they're actually taking action. So I guess... Uh, we don't have a functioning government is not a defense for the court. <laughs> no, yeah, then they might try it. Given the court's record so far, it's, it's not going to uh, go down too well. Politically, this has to be probably good news for, for Yasa Klaver and and I would guess maybe to some degree the Deus Sestuk, right? I mean, they, they lost, they, they seem to have not gotten a lot of the sticking points that they wanted after the election, right, for these environmental things. Of course, the Khrun Links is not going to be in the coalition government, so this seems to me like it's a, it's a good win for them, and this regard uh yeah i'm sure they'll claim it as a as a win in the political arena there's going to be a debate in parliament i think on the next week so we'll see what the various parties have to say about it then of course it does mean that um other parties that um have been yeah more conservative on pollution like the cdr who obviously are supported by farmers and um people living in rural communities uh, they're going to have to address this issue now because i think one of the points during the coalition talks the ones that broke down the Khun links was that um you know the, the, there were complaints that seaborn uh, boomer was pretty much in denial about climate change or or having to do anything about the environment, uh, I don't think he's going to be able to maintain that position when the government is being, you know, um, forced by the courts to take action. And one of the big favourite day hobby horses over the last kind of decade has been raising the speed limits on the motorways to 130 kilometres an hour. That looks like it's ground to halt now because that would be seen as contributing to air yes, pollution. Yes, it, it was announced that no uh, road will be uh, increased to a 130 uh, speed limit. Mm-hmm. And when you increase the speed limit from 120 to 130, you increase the air pollution with 13 percent. So uh, yeah. It's a major impact. So, so that policy is dead in the water. Yeah, maybe if uh, Boomer doesn't believe in climate change, he could go spend some time in Houston or Florida or St. Martin and see how that's yeah. working out. <laughs> so the the junior minister for the environment, Sharon Dykesma, also made a, a statement this week, right? Uh, she responded the day after the case, yes, and she said that the government will now accelerate its plans to reduce air pollution and, uh, and strengthen them where necessary and consult with local communities that are affected to come up with better plans, but obviously too early to go into any real detail. And, and she's a minister in the outgoing government that the new government's going to have a well the rumor is that the new government will have a dedicated dedicated minister for the environment and so yeah they're going to have a fairly full intray from day one by the sound of it well i guess we will uh, update our listeners and then in two weeks when we sort of have some sort of plan or <laughs> plan yeah. maybe we'll even have a government and uh next week our discussion is going to be about uh, my favorite holiday in the Netherlands, which is Budget Day, because uh, Princess Dog takes place the following week. Mm-hmm. So we'll be uh, informing the listeners about all of the interesting things about uh, yeah. about Budget Day. And if you live in The Hague, like I do, it means your children get the day off school as well. Yeah, so wh- how are you going to be spending Budget Day, Gordon? Yeah, probably just um, going to the beach with the kids if it's nice weather. There you go. That's an <laughs> excellent... going to wave at the king. No, you can do that as well, yeah. So he goes through the streets in his carriage. Not not the cloud of goods because it's in for repairs. Yeah, it's the glass goods. Yeah, so, yeah. using the glass of goods. I think I'm supposed to have to go to work on that Tuesday. I think I'm going to try to work from home. <laughs> it's pretty much impossible to get across the Hague on Budget yeah, Day. Uh, yeah, if you're early enough, I think the trams will still run. Yeah. Yeah, or they will be diverted or something. I'm not entirely sure. We'll okay. have to go by a horse and carriage. 
That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email at podcast at dutchnews.nl. My thanks to Paul Peters and Gordon Derrick. I'm Molly Quell, and we'll be back next week. Godstraft onmiddellijk.